0: Welcome to Make Work Fun, the podcast exploring the fun side of the creator economy. Yeah. We're the show all about business, with a bit less of the business. I'm Ben Bradbury. All right, we are back. What is going on, Brett? How you doing, Ben? Excited to be here for our episode number two for a news roundup yeah round 2.0 for us i think it's episode six on the feed now for make work fun guys welcome back to the show we are back at you with the latest and greatest news for what's going on in the creator economy and what this means for you as a creator or an operator working with creators or maybe just someone who's cheering on the sidelines talking about creators we've got some fun stories to cover today four stories to be exact brett what are you going to be talking about today
1: yeah, so today we're going to one, talk about Instagram's controversial update and why it's being called a TikTok knockoff Ooh. and what this means for the future of community. That one was uh, going to be an interesting
0: conversation. Yeah, that was spicy. I really, really enjoyed your, your take on that. Um, what else you got for us?
1: Yeah, and then we'll also be discussing LinkedIn rolling out a similar type of feed update. Uh, but this one I think is going to be a real winner. For a couple of reasons. One, it's a different ballgame with B2B content. Uh, two, LinkedIn is really the only B2B-focused social platform. And three, LinkedIn's been heavily investing in their creator programs pretty stealthily. So they have a lot uh, coming
0: up this year and throughout the decade. Yeah, so if you're an Instagram fanboy, probably not the episode to listen to, not going to lie. But we do get into their sister company, Facebook, and why they're investing hard in the creator economy and whether we think they've got legs. And then we're also going to talk about in just a second the first creator-powered Gen Z native company going public on the stock exchange. That is FaZe Clan, started as a gaming company, now becoming a lifestyle and entertainment brand, and what this means for creators. This is a lot of fun. Let's jump in. All right, Brett. So our first story for today is a pretty interesting one, and it's all about creators actually going public. So for those of you, if you don't know what going public means, it's uh, what's called an initial public offering or an IPO. That's where you list on the stock exchange. For a lot of people who are building businesses, IPO is like the holy grail. That's when you've quote unquote made it. And recently, FaZe Clan actually went public with a deal valued at $725 million. So this is a fully creator-powered, Gen Z native company, and it's being traded publicly on the stock exchange. I think if you told people even 10 years ago that was going to happen, people wouldn't have believed you. But now, FaZe has got a new president, they've brought on new board members, by the way, including the one and only Snoop Dogg, which is kind of legendary in its own right. And it's starting to implement these plans to, to shift its business away from just focusing on gaming, where it started, and towards being a real lifestyle and entertainment brand. They brought in $53 million in revenue last year, up from $38 million in 2020. Really seems like they've got the wind. What's the phrase? The wind in their sails, behind their sails? One of those. They've got it, whatever it is.
1: So I think that this is a super exciting uh, piece of news that just came out. And I actually had to look up Phase Clan because I didn't hear about it until they went public, which is quite surprising because there are so many celebrities that are involved in this and it's huge in the gaming community. I just obviously have not been paying enough attention to the gaming community, but this is massive for the creator economy in general. It shows that there is a legitimate space here, that there is value in these companies, and I'm excited to see what they do with the money that they're able to raise and how they expand into both entertainment and lifestyle. I just hope that their SPAC lives up because as we saw uh, during 2021 with this, the whole SPAC movement, a lot of them kind of tanked and didn't turn out as great like we saw with BuzzFeed. And uh, I think that FaZe Clan has a lot of potential because gaming and esports, it's blowing up and creators are becoming larger and larger, especially in the streaming world. And I think that there's a lot that will come from this and hopefully we'll see other companies go public as well in the creator economy.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting the companies are powered by the individual. So I think a lot of media brands or companies will build the product or service and then try and build the audience around it. The creators are going the other way. They've just snowballed this attention, as you say, with on these gaming platforms, playing Call of Duty, playing Fortnite, having all these big players rack up millions and millions of YouTube subscribers. And then when you're hooked on all their highlight reels and you can't stop watching their gaming montages, then they go, hey, want to buy a face hoodie for 50 bucks? Want to buy all this merch? And that's where the real money is. So they're going audience to product rather than product to audience, which I think is a trend we're going to see a lot more of.
1: And I didn't realize that bit about FaZe Clan until I started reading about them. But it's definitely an interesting model that they have these gamers who are the creators, the influencers for FaZe Clan and then can pump out the products there, as you just mentioned. And so I think that that model can be transplanted into a ton of different different areas beyond sure. eSports. So, you know, could we see that this decade? I definitely think
0: so. This is just, you know, proof of concept. For sure. And eSports is an interesting one because it does – pioneer a lot of these best practices so if you look at discord for example that started as a utility for gaming communities now it's just a community platform period and they have all these integrations and it's really taking off in and of itself what i'm kind of interested though to see if this translates and yes it gives the creator economy some legitimacy but FaZe is very bro-centric. You've got characters like FaZe Banks, who has become infamous or notorious in some circles, starting beef up with other YouTubers. It's very bro-y, and I don't know if it's as wholesome as perhaps I'd like the future of the creator economy to be personally. So I'm interested if you can still have this stickiness around your brand when you don't have such a kind of cult-like bro following to it. I'm sure you can, but I just don't know exactly what that would potentially look like.
1: And I think that's just the nature of esports, obviously. But when you're dealing with the creator economy and you want to attract different audiences, you need to ensure that you are pumping people up right? as creators that look just like your audience, right? And so getting more women involved, uh, getting more people of color involved in uh, the gaming space could be really great to diversify this space and provide similar opportunities
0: to those folks and, and the same type of community aspect that you're getting. So it's something I think we want to keep an eye on who is going to be the next person to to go public. And also, is this always going to be the aim for big creator driven media businesses? I'm not so sure. I think that's an interesting philosophical question. Do you want to become this massive brand in your space? Or are you happy generating potentially less revenue, but there's trade-offs where you have more control or you have a better lifestyle? I think those are questions that you can really only answer yourself as a creator. Let's go to our next story. Now, Brett, you've got an interesting one.
1: So Ben, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably heard about the recent Instagram updates. It's all over Twitter, it was all over LinkedIn, people talking about it left and right. So Instagram, they launched a very controversial update that is essentially transforming their classic photo, follower-friendly feed into a TikTok knockoff. And so to provide some background to the audience, Over the past year, they've been heavily pushing Reels, which is their short form video product, and incentivizing video first content with organic reach. So there's no more photos really being pumped out there. And if you're a creator that's posting still images, you're not gonna get the organic reach that you would get if you were to post a short form video on Reels. And now this update flooded people's feeds with recommended content. Uh, So I'm curious, Ben, if you're an Instagram user, were you seeing this when they were testing it out?
0: Did you uh, get in on the action? Yeah. Yeah, I have started seeing more posts from accounts that I don't follow, going, well, you like this, so we're gonna show you that. To me, that's not really the point of Instagram. I wanna connect with my friends. The reason I don't follow that many people is because I want to have a pretty curated feed. So I don't know, it, it kind of feels like it's defeating the point for me a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you are not alone because the Kardashians and Jenners spoke out about this and they, I guess, are dubbed the, the queens of Instagram and social media. And when they speak, people listen. Uh, and so they ended up rolling back this uh, update mm. and I guess are revisiting it to see how they can still create something that's competitive with TikTok while not destroying the complete original value of Instagram, right? What originally attracted people there. But I do think that this update and and everyone speaking out about this was part of a more broad, uh, a broader important shift in media, which is the rise of these hyper curated feeds like you see on TikTok, mm. right? Uh, and you see Twitter has been doing this a bit. I've been seeing all my Twitter feed, like recommended accounts, and they were blasting it. And then they actually spoke out that they were testing this out. Uh, you see this on LinkedIn. They're starting to show you things that are from people you may not follow just to get, you know, industry voices uh, out there. And so I spent the weekend analyzing this and I broke out some pros and cons of curated feeds, hyper curated feeds um, for both the creator and the consumer. The pros of the curated feed for the creator is that they now have the opportunity to go viral seemingly overnight, right? We see a lot of TikTok creators who maybe post a video of them explaining something or doing something funny and they wake up and all of a sudden they have hundreds of thousands of followers overnight. And the good thing about that is their content is getting in front of more eyeballs and it helps immensely with discoverability, whereas in the past you had to rely on like really strict organic shares and people, you know, following you. And for the consumer, the pro of curated feeds is that they see this hyper-targeted content that's relevant to their interest, right? It's entertaining, it's addicting, it's why I spend hours on TikTok because everything is related to me and I'm finding all these interested stuff. But there's cons to it. And so the cons for the creator is that these hyper-curated feeds make it harder to connect with audiences on a personal level and build that loyalty and trust that you may get from, say, building up a YouTube channel over a decade, right? Like Mr. Beast, or building out a newsletter list. Like these are things that take time and are more of like that one-on-one connection with your audience and people opt in to actually follow you and see your content. And for the consumer, feeds are now no longer a source of connection to friends and creators. It's just an entertainment hub with whatever the algorithm thinks is fitting. So we're really lacking those more intimate community experiences. So Ben, I know that was a lot from my end, but what do you make of all this and the rise of these hyper curated feeds and its ultimate impact on creators and their audiences?
0: It's pretty hard to argue with the consumption stats when you look at people, look at consumers that are spending literally 50% on average more time on TikTok than Instagram per day. I think TikTok's about one and a half hours, Instagram's around an hour. I mean, the big wigs at Instagram are going to be looking at this and they're going to be scared because really these platforms are just attention aggregators and you want to be doing what's getting the most attention. And that's why TikTok, I think they think is so scary because it's cannibalizing everyone else's attention. I think the bigger problem though is that your platform is set out to do something. So with Twitter, you're providing bite-sized thoughts and news and, and segments, but you're doing it from people that you follow. Same with Instagram. Whereas TikTok is different. TikTok was built with curation in mind. So yes, you follow accounts, but the For You page, which is generated from interest, it was specifically designed to reach other and give you exposure to other creators that you're not connected to. So from a platform architecture perspective, that's why they're doing what they're doing. And so to to pivot I think Daniel Eck has this really great framework where he says a lot of companies will try to apply mechanics without understanding the system behind it. And this Instagram update feels like a mechanic. It feels like, hey, we're going to we see this power of algorithmically based interest content. Let's copy that. But they haven't rethought the system itself because Instagram is ultimately personally driven. It's a place to connect with your social circles, not to connect with outside strangers. So it seems like a bit of an oversight and I do feel like these companies are probably going to struggle.
1: I get it. The data is probably telling them that this is where interests lie and this is where the trends are going, but it does take away from the original purpose of these type of feeds. And I do think it's going to have a pretty detrimental impact on creators and consumers on the platform. But what I predict is going to happen now in the trends that I've been seeing is that the rise of curated feeds, right? If Instagram's like, screw it, we're doing this. The rise of these curated feeds is going to start to organically shift conversations and engagement to private feeds. And I put that in quotes, private feeds, like group chats or private communities where there's a bunch of people in there with shared interests. And this is actually what Instagram was observing. They're like, the interactions between friends is not happening on the feeds. It's actually happening maybe over stories or or the private chats uh, that they have on the app. And so I think that this is actually going to be the most important shift of the decade with these platforms about connecting users and connecting creators more intimately through private chats, right? Like maybe I have a discord or a Slack channel where we talk about MBA, another one to talk about uh, the creator economy and another one to talk about memes. And if you think about Facebook, One of the main reasons that it's like still alive and people are still on it is because of Facebook groups. It's Mm. connection over shared interests in more intimate conversations and the curated feeds are removing that. They're just becoming entertainment hubs where you find content that you then share elsewhere in private chats. So what do you think about that and that
0: trend that's happening? I mean, do you think that that's going to be the next big thing? this is super interesting because the internet unlocked a world that felt smaller than ever because you can reach anyone. And that isn't going away. So Web 2.0 was the rise of these social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And if we aren't able to continue the conversations there because they're naturally pushing us away, we're going to want other places to continue the conversation. So I think about Scott Rogowski had a great phrase where he said, We're going through the nicheification of everything. And I think that's exactly right. I want to, for me personally, I want to talk to people on the internet that share my two passions, which is audio and the creator economy and shuffling and music. And those are the two hubs that I use the internet for to go and reach. I don't really care about anything else. And so I think there's a big opportunity for people in the creator economy to pull together these communities under very niche interests. It's not going to be really broad. It's not going to be like the Facebook group era where you can just join everything. There's going to be these really curated digital experiences. And I feel like Discord and Slack is probably just the internet taking its first baby steps on this path. I think there's a lot more we're going to go down. Exactly. Were you, uh, Scott Rogowski, you talking about Quiz Daddy? Exactly, the Quiz Daddy himself, yeah, on Business Casual.
1: When I was in uh, LA in April, he has a throwback or like a retro shop that's kind of like a thrift shop, and I went in there and mm-hmm. I met him, uh, which was awesome cool. because I I love uh, I guess HQ trivia and I, I do like uh, the business casual podcast. But uh, again, you bring up great points, uh, and I think what Scott mentions about the the nicheification of everything it, it is happening, and with Web three capabilities, I mean Lee Jin, uh, co founder of the Variant Fund. She goes deep on this about how communities will be these next platforms and, and everyone has the upside of like gaining ownership over content, over discussions versus the platforms having this control. So I'm really excited for this. I'm also excited to see how offset workweek take advantage of this and how we can create these uh, B2B focused communities that connect, right? Uh, everyone with these, this expertise and these shared interests.
0: Totally, yeah. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun rabbit hole to go down. Well, you brought up Facebook groups a second ago with your analysis there. I have another story to share from Facebook, and what's kind of interesting is we are seeing this trend across the board of big companies investing more in the creator economy. Literally today, as we record this, Bloomberg announced they're hiring for ahead of I think it was newsletters and personality, which is a heck of a heck of a title, but shows they're investing into creators. And Facebook is pulling back on resources from its news departments to fund creator resources. Wall Street Journal article broke uh, recently. This shift, I think, stems from pressure for platforms like Facebook to pay for the news that they're getting. They've got a screaming deal with platforms like the New York Times, like the Wall Street Journal, and they feel the squeeze and Facebook is, is getting pushed. And so, News and Bulletin, which are two Facebook news sites which launched last year, they were supposed to compete with the likes of Substack, but again Facebook's pulling back from this, and just like we saw a few years ago with Facebook Watch, they're now pivoting more towards short-form videos. So, Brett, it's kind of interesting how we've come full circle here, with Facebook initially starting with Watch and now, again, reinvesting back into video and creators.
1: I need to pause to applaud Facebook just for the amount of testing and iterating that they are doing. And I think it's underappreciated because people see Facebook and meta in general as evil uh, and they have done some contentious things, but it's, it's cool to see them recognizing this, this creator shift and, and trying to make way for it. Uh, obviously, it also helps them uh, with their revenue gains if they can crack the code. But I think that them pulling back from this news focus is a big deal because uh, Mark Zuckerberg got uh, a lot of a lot of heat for the way that they deal with news uh, sources. And so I think that it's in their best interest to not renew these contracts that they had uh, and that they see that people are wanting to get their information and content from individuals over institutions. And again, that's the Workweek thesis. Uh, that Adam and Becca have laid out that uh, individuals over institutions is the future. And with Bloomberg recently, I think I I saw that on LinkedIn that they're hiring for the newsletter roles and I tweeted about it. Bloomberg is like the media company and they Mm. are like, hey, we're actually going to look for personalities now. It's creators, right? Personalities, creators, talent-led products. It's all, Mm -hmm. they're all synonyms. But this is like a huge deal in the creator economy and media space. And the fact that these massive companies are participating in this shift and actually pulling back resources and big acquisitions they make the made to focus on this it's just huge and it's really exciting and i am just curious to see how this all plays out with all this competition it's going to be like the streaming wars but in a completely different yeah.
0: space yeah totally it's kind of interesting how with the streaming wars bob Iger was the first mover, I think, in that. He made a huge decision to cannibalize a big revenue stream from Disney, which is his DVDs, to go directly into streaming and launch Disney+. And then you have all these services off the back of it, Hulu, Peacock, Quibi, all launching in the slipstream. And now we're seeing what happens when the market gets saturated and HBO Max or HBO+, Plus, whichever their streaming services, they they realize, oh, shit, we don't have the attention because everyone else is being asked to pay 20 bucks a month for their cable television. And now consumers are looking at a triple figure bill every month just to watch TV. It's the same thing with creators. We're seeing all these platforms get into it and there's going to be winners, there's going to be losers. I question for Facebook if they're going to be a serious contender for short form video. And I say that because... If you asked me this question 10 years ago, when Facebook's floodgates with their distribution were open and you could get millions of views a month, literally, without paying a dollar, then I would say they've, they're in a really good spot. But Facebook has slowly but surely done what platforms do, which is reduce the organic reach and squeeze out the paid reach over time to the point where you can be paying anywhere between 5 to $25 to acquire a lead on the platform. I don't know if they're going to be able to actually compete with the virality of a TikTok or, or of a YouTube. It also kind of feels to me like they're they're just a, a step behind. Like Instagram is like the laggard to TikTok right now, as we talked about with the last story. So I don't know if I agree with you that Facebook are actually being that innovative. It kind of feels like they're being a little bit slow and, and doing what's been done before.
1: I feel as though Facebook... We'll find out how to crack the code here, but I want them to ensure that they are keeping what is on Facebook separate from what is on Instagram, because I see that Facebook has a lot of potential with their groups feature and with a lot of written content. My dad, for example, he's like a creator in his own friend community on Mm. Facebook, sharing a lot about pop culture and people love it and they engage there. And then Instagram can be that place you go to maybe for the more video-focused content that actually serves as that TikTok competitor. But Facebook has a lot of potential with groups and with still connecting people from around the world. They just do have a massive issue with retaining Gen Z and the younger uh, demographics that are shifting to these other creator platforms. And I'm definitely most worried about the startups that are being truly innovative and creating really great products that can help excel and strengthen the creator economy that will just be copied by Facebook, but in a shittier way, just because Mm. they already have the network effects and obviously the billions of resources. So will Facebook nail this? Will they become true players in the creator economy? I'm not sure, but it's a good sign when one of the largest companies in the world is emphasizing creator economy. And when you have companies like Bloomberg shifting to creators, that's been notoriously institutionalized. So this is a good sign in general, but I think I have my doubts now about Facebook really being a key player
0: here. Yeah, it's like, are you gonna build the metaverse and take over the creator economy all at once? No, you need to focus. And they just switched their name to meta. So it's gonna be interesting to see what how they play out with VR creators. I'm sure all that is a few years down the line, but we we shall see. Let's jump to our last story of the day from one platform to another, Facebook to LinkedIn. Brett, you've got a banger of a story to end on. Take it away.
1: So LinkedIn, our favorite platform that's always trying to keep up and maybe not getting as much attention (laughs) as the other ones. They're testing a new feed format. I saw one of their head of product Posted uh, that is basically a dedicated space on your on your LinkedIn feed uh, for you to discover relevant content and voices from people and organizations you're not connected with. So think of it like your professional for you page. Uh, And so you can expect to see trending conversations from creators on the platform that align with your interest. So if I'm on there, I would probably see content that's discussing tech, media, creator economy stuff. And it actually is a great way for me to network and see what other people are talking about in the industry. And so I'm really excited about this because uh, I love that LinkedIn is doing more now to help B2B creators get discovered. And they also just recently launched uh, a creator program that pays out select creators, uh, I think like $12,000 over six months to produce content, and they give them access to tools and products to help them grow their platform. And it's funny because if I'm thinking about all the platforms that are out there, LinkedIn seems to be the only true place where you can post B2B content and people will care, maybe other than Twitter. Uh, So I'm definitely interested to see how this plays in bringing B2B creators to the mainstream and having this B2B creator space become just as big or even bigger than the current, more consumer-focused content that we've been seeing on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube.
0: Also, let me challenge you there because this sounds very familiar to a story we also talked about, which is the, the shift that Instagram made with their feed. And we, were, I think we're both pretty negative to that. Now, LinkedIn's feed change on the surface seems very similar in this shift to the for you page based on interests, and you seem really bullish on it. So what's the difference here? Because we're seeing this trend of shifting towards interests Why back LinkedIn uh, when Instagram is not getting so favored, if you like?
1: That's a great question. And it comes down to the specific focus here, right? LinkedIn tends to be more niche. It is more industry B2B focused, always has been. That's its core mission, right? To connect the workforce. And there is no other platform, again, other than perhaps Twitter, where B2B is the focus. And so, I feel like they have a bit more leeway in adopting these type of features over the more consumer-focused platforms like Instagram, like TikTok, like Twitter, uh, because they are like the only one in their space. And they don't seem to be venturing right now into short-form video. They are just focused on still all types of multi-format type content and just want to do a better job at getting those creators who are pumping that out discovered and helping me on the platform maybe see who else is in the creator economy, who else is working in media. And so to summarize that, it just comes down to the fact that this is B2B and it's a completely different subset of the the creator economy.
0: Yeah, you're right that there's really no other – platform for b2b creators to go on for better or worse and i do think depending on the industry you're in it can be a very different experience so blake for example our healthcare creator you obviously set up healthcare huddle the observant viewers of this will see that in the in the background healthcare is huge on linkedin if you're a hospital executive and you're trying to keep up with news and insights in your industry you're probably going to go there versus some other industries where i would say tech for example uh, like Silicon Valley tech, especially really exists on Twitter. If you're posting on LinkedIn, you are literally giving up eyeballs compared to other platforms. And so I do think that's one of the the challenges, but it is cool to see LinkedIn giving more focus to her. I was, unfortunately, didn't end up connecting with her because she got COVID, but I was going to go to a talk in London from LinkedIn's head of creator operations. And I just thought that is fucking cool that that person exists that that job title is a thing. Because when I was creating on LinkedIn five years ago, there was no creator infrastructure. It was just like a little rogue band of people who would all pump up each other's posts and make videos and shit. And there was no infrastructure. There was no buy-in. But now they actually are paying people salaries to support their creators, which I think is a is a really cool trend.
1: It's funny you bring that up about the title because I saw the post from Bloomberg's chief digital Uh, officer who posted about the general manager of newsletters and personalities or talent. And someone commented, wow, that's an interesting title. And I replied to that comment and said, you're going to see this title more and more on job postings in Mm. the coming years and throughout this decade. And Mm -hmm. all these creator and content focused job positions are going to become more commonplace than they ever have been. And Back to LinkedIn here. I've been on LinkedIn since 2016. And it's wild to me that it's taken this long to see a meaningful shift for creators and content overall. And LinkedIn does get a lot of hate, right? Because the main content on there was a lot of just like love yourself type stuff, shouting yourself out. Hey, I'm pleased to announce that I just got a job offer from XYZ, right? Or I'm pleased to share that I just finished my internship and it was just like lame content. And mm-hmm. now with this actual creator and content focus, I really do expect uh, for the content to uh, to get better. And in turn, you know, maybe we'll start to see better advertisements because advertisers mm-hmm. will be more attracted to the platform because the eyeballs are now there. And I tweeted a while back that LinkedIn deserves more love. And the reason for that was because there are more people consuming on the platform than creating content. And so content reach was crazy good because if you've been – posted about audio on LinkedIn and one of your connections liked it or commented, then their whole entire network would see that and on and on and on and on. And so uh, I kept emphasizing to work Workweek creators and other folks, I'm like, start creating on LinkedIn now. And now LinkedIn is obviously uh, investing in their uh, creator and content space. So I'm definitely excited to see how they evolve this product. And it's just a huge you know, moment for B2B content, B2B media, it's becoming more mainstream. Mm. And I think it's finally getting the hype and attention it deserves. And of course, that is our goal at Workweek and the thesis that we're betting on.
0: Even just taking a step back, it's never been a better time to be a creator because the technology is, so my thesis with media is that you start with a tech that then enables business models, which then enables content. This is from Matthew Ball. And what we're seeing in the space is more consumers than ever have access to mobile, more consumers than ever have access to data. So that's your technology piece locked in that then enables advertisers to get in front of a wider range of consumers because the total addressable market is bigger. And so when you have more advertising dollars fueling in, which is the core revenue generator of media businesses and for creators, that's then going to incentivize more and more content. So we're at this tipping point where, consumers have access to the tech they need advertisers are engaged and platforms are starting to respond which is why we're seeing this this wave if you're gonna brett if you're gonna leave our listeners with one actionable piece of advice from today's story so we covered linkedin we covered facebook getting on the platform we covered the evolution of feeds as a reaction to instagram we covered phase plan clan going public what's the one nugget that you're gonna leave our listeners with today I think my
1: two biggest takeaways here for the audience is one, pay attention to communities. This is going to be the next big thing. Hop on it early, start to read up on it just so you you continue to be in the know. Uh, and don't doubt that communities are not going to make it because the way that we're seeing feed shift, communities are going to be on the rise And number two, if you're a B2B creator or you're someone that's just looking for greater opportunities professionally, start producing content on LinkedIn, take advantage of its focus on creators, take advantage of being a first mover and just continue to
0: keep an eye on the space and don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of change. I love that actually to end on because media is changing faster and faster than ever. And as humans, we are hardwired to stick in our comfort zones because change is scary. And there's like this, yeah, there's this whole evolutionary biology piece that we can get into maybe over a over a drink or two. But <laughs> the, the key thing to keep in mind is if you feel scared of something, if you feel resistant to a platform changing, it's probably a good idea for you to experiment with it. It's probably a good idea to test, iterate, whatever that feature is. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you tuning in. We hope what we have discussed today has helped you have a bit more fun at work because that's what we're all about. And we will see you next time. Brett, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks for tuning in. Keep the fun coming by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? It really helps us spread our message. We'll see you next time.